when a, a, t a family with typically developing children have these natural relationships that come about, it's just, it just happens. When you have your children, it just happens and they're exploring and you're guiding and it's just, parents of typical children don't really think about it. It's just, it's occurring. And then how families, when, not when their children get a diagnosis, though that doesn't help anything, but when that starts going on a different path, then plus a diagnosis, then plus professionals talking to them, they just stop seeing that family path. It becomes blinded to them. And, and you know, Catherine, I see sometimes that people will say, well, I don't know if it's his age or the autism. And some, a, lot, a lot of times when they're saying that, they're talking about something they wish the child didn't do. And so they'll, you know, they'll say, well, I, you know, if it's the, say if it, even if it's the autism, you still have to correct it. It doesn't, it doesn't give you a free pass. But I hear that kind of, I guess if I, I, I would know what to do if I knew why he did it, whether it was the age or the autism. Well, it's like the, it's like the parental brain gets, scrambled somehow. It, it's very interesting and almost I see the own ownership of parenting seems to to change its path. I don't want to say it falls away. I mean the parents are aware of their responsibilities by and large. They're aware that they want to parent their child but I don't know if it's all the voices telling them let us do it or it's literally that they're not getting the feedback from that child so they stop putting themselves out there or both what do you think i think it is both and i, I was thinking about uh i was thinking about that proverb like train train up a child in the way he should go and you know and so we think about that it's like oh yeah we train up a child but in the hebrew it says train up a child in the way he is bent and that reminds me of your mother because trained up according to her talent and bent in that way but if there's so much noise and confusion you often don't know what that bent is or that talent is well that's very true and i'm afraid it's not looked for uh, again sometimes i think when we talk like this it almost seems blatantly obvious <laughs> that why would we stop looking for a bent and why would we not set limits but something about being in it changes people it does and it changes them in ways that it would never change them with your typically developing kids so it's once that growth seeking gets turned off the growth promoting probably last for a while. That's what I'm thinking. And when I've seen parents with pretty young children, I see them still trying mm -hmm. to do things. But at some point, like it's not working. And then they get the diagnosis and they say, oh, this is different. So I don't know how to parent and probably won't. And then I think about, are there, at that point, is this more like just a progression? At that point, are they being told they shouldn't expect to have the family life they thought they would have? 
I think they are, I think they're being told that. And I think that the other thing that kicks in is all the noise. And by that, I mean the noise, the noise um, that the child makes and not necessarily verbalizations or stimming or anything like that. But the child just becomes, comes with such a complicated, um, complicated presentation. And I'm just thinking of that complication and how present, how that is so noisy that you can't cut through it. Noise probably isn't the best word, but it's the word that always comes to mind, that you have to dig through these layers of everything that's going on to figure out what you're going to do. And it's noisy. And how do you find your way? They're already feeling very inadequate. And I feel like that's what autism does. It takes away your feeling of authority um, and you feel inadequate and then you have professionals come in and they say well we know how to do this so it's like well somebody knows how and so you have that combination of authority and fear which pushes that red alert button yeah let us take care of it you don't know is kind of the message I think a lot of parents receive do you I do and so because of that, you can see everything from parents, like you mentioned, stop setting limits, start kind of some go limp in terms of their parenting, some only with that, the child is diagnosed, but some with their other children too. It just changes that whole core. And what I love about what we do in RDI is we say, not only can you have your family, we want you. <laughs> We want that to resume. Um, I always think about you and Dr. Gutstein and how did you know that was the most important thing? I'm not sure how we knew it. I know he did a lot of research and I did a lot of videotaping and it sort of gelled. But I was thinking, uh, I was thinking Catherine about this whole, how we worry so much about the passivity with the children that passivity to take on their own learning. And in RDI, we believe there is a parallel process between the consultant and the parent and the parent and the child. So pretty quickly, we don't see that passivity with our parents. But when children have done other things, I do see them as being pretty passive. And I believe that the parallel process we get in place is the same parallel process that the parents experience when they're doing something that's more dog, dogmatic or authoritarian or telling them what to do, they do it, they tell their child what to do and everybody's passive. Wow, that's really, that's really scary because if there's one thing parents aren't supposed to do, it's be passive. <laughs> be passive with a three-year-old. <laughs> I promise you, a three-year-old will take over if you're passive. Yeah, they will rule. A two and a half, yeah, a two-year-old will pretty much get that idea as well, you know? Um, if you watch parents with two, well, actually, honestly, as soon as they start that exploring age and really getting around, what's going on? They're exploring and there's a parent, mm -hmm. like, doing the protecting, right? Mm -hmm. Explore all you want, but not there. And the I was talking, you know, I was talking to a young man today, as you know, and he was telling me um, he's graduating in college. And he was telling me that his mother still worries about him. 
if he takes a dog to the walk on a walk that she worries that he's going to the canal and there's concrete and water or if he drives the car by himself into the city she what she still worries well, it's that it's that impact of the old days the fears don't go away necessarily i mean it's it's so understandable but it's it's because and and you have talked so beautifully about this but it's that that crisis mode too so on the one hand you've got parents feeling passive and not and, and like they don't have the ability but then you've got a crisis going off in their brains at the same time it's just a very damaging mix and you know i think sometimes we don't we don't consider enough that the parents come with their own vulnerabilities. And so let's say you have a biological anxiety disorder in your family, right? Or you have kind of a biologically genetic vulnerability for bipolar disorder. You add these things in and a parent who would be doing great. Now these things begin to superimpose themselves over the parent sometimes the child has that same vulnerability and it's really hard to sort it out and know where to begin that's what i love about our assessment because we really can pinpoint where are you stuck where's everybody stuck and for the consultant it gives us that sense of are you stuck too so everybody gets unstuck and we start where we need to start and we do it carefully and slow, slowly in a truthful way. And at that point, that natural parenting begins to kick in. One of the things I love about our training program is that we teach our trainees to say to parents, I'm working myself out of a job, not into a job. <laughs> and if you've ever hired a consultant, you know that's rare. <laughs> but, we, but we are doing that. And we're giving them the tools so they can begin to think of their own objectives they can come up with them uh, when i'm working with someone in college and now at this point typically what i'm doing is trying to help the parents not overcompensate anymore but when i'm working with someone at that level they've begun to write their own objectives they may not physically write them but they will say this is where i'm stuck this is what i want to work on now and you know, Catherine, I love it when that happens. I, it almost brings tears to my eyes because I know they're almost there. Yeah, the thing that is so attractive, well, there's so many things that are attractive to me about what we do, but one of them is the collaboration. So I always say, I'm not telling you, <laughs> we're working together and that's what we do. And then secondly, you're going to be empowered and you're not going to be afraid of being empowered because you're, it's going to be genuine yeah. and there's just nothing like it. I mean, and it's hard knowing there's parents who are completely unempowered who need this so much. And we're not going to tell them that they're going to sink or swim. It's like, go do it. What's the objective you want? It's not that we, we open it up to them in small steps. We talk about just noticeable differences for the children. 
we talk about challenges for the children, but we talk about the same thing for the parents, just noticeable differences and challenges. And once as a consultant, as someone working with parents, I realized that I could afford myself the luxury of doing that and that I didn't have to run, rush in with a big idea or something huge was going to change in the next five minutes. I began to be a really good consultant for parents.